everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire. And all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up, and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey, everybody. Um, I am beyond excited to welcome Chef Josiah Citrin to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. Josiah is, to me, one of the big heavies of the Los Angeles food scene. Um, He has set some massive standards and continues to push boundaries to this day. Um, I mean, I remember meeting Josiah when I was working at Rubicon many 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 years ago when i was working with tracy and that was um a very daunting day for me because it was a, a day of many big talents coming to do a guest chef dinner at rubicon and i was very overwhelmed volunteering in the basement kitchen and uh from that day on i have always just watched from from afar with awe and we've become friends over the years and i'm super excited to have you here today thank you thank you it's awesome to be here with you it's the history is like crazy all those but it's funny because all those guest chefs were like we didn't have instagram and all this stuff so that's how we got to know what was going on by doing that that's the only way we could really see everything and learn was like you had to go and physically be there it's crazy right to think about that like all those guest chef dinners i mean i've got i i'm sure you do too but i have a whole file folder file drawer filled with menus for yep. everywhere and if they aren't the originals they're photocopies when someone else went to the restaurant yeah everything that's how you learned i mean it was the only way to learn and i'd volunteer for every guest chef i could go do was a different chef or whatever it was like the only way like i said it was the only way we could learn talk to like when or if someone came to stage in the restaurant you worked you talk about where they worked before you could only imagine it was all through verbally there was no pictures it was like drawings right everything was yeah, drawings drawings and like yep. pen- shitty pencil drawings in a notebook, your station mise en place list, your recipes. And then you had, yeah. I had stage notebooks and then I had work notebooks. Yeah, it was good times though. You had to do it, a little grease dripped on stuff, a little tomato oh, sauce, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so just say, I'd like to start at the beginning if, if, if you could. Like what, what was the start for you? What was the catalyst for you to, to say, I'm going to be in a kitchen and what, what, what was the beginnings? So I think it was, you know, I was growing up surfing and hanging out in Santa Monica, Venice at the time. And my mom was a caterer. She cooked out of the house. So I kind of grew up with her always cooking in the house and catering. And, but I wasn't, I didn't have that much interest in it per se. I just kind of help if I need to make a couple extra bucks to go on a surf trip or wherever I can get some money. It was a little easy. And then, I don't know. It was kind of weird. It was like 1985 and I was in my 11th grade at high school and, you know, Wolfgang was, everything was kind of happening. And I lived up the street from Chinois in Maine. And all of a sudden I said, I'm going to be a chef. And I had no clue what I was getting into. No clue. Um, I had a neighbor across the street who was a chef and he always seemed to have cute girls on a motorcycle. I thought, this is cool, you know, whatever. The rock and roll lifestyle of cooking. Right? Exactly. And back then he this guy worked at a place. I don't even think these places exist anymore. It was like a it was called the Trident Room and he it was like a really French restaurant and but it was only open for lunch and it was basically in a building and they would cook for the offices in the building. 
and it was very fancy and I went to visit a couple of days. So I'm like, oh, I'll come to work nine to five and this is great, you know? <laughs> and uh, that's not quite how it was. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's funny to talk about that, like those those lunch only super high end spots. I mean, when I first moved to San Francisco, there was a bunch of those here. Yeah, it's crazy. That was part of the businessman's, you know, how how it would go. A couple martinis, wine. Make that deal, make lines. that banking deal and then yeah. call it a call it a day at three, right? Like that, those exactly. days are gone. <laughs> those days are gone completely. It doesn't exist. Um and I just kind of went around to the top restaurants around the area at that time. We had like the West Beach Cafe, obviously Shinwan Main Casuto. What should I do? Go to school? Should I start working? Well, I didn't really have any money anyway, so I just started working. And I got a job with a French chef called, named Claude Segal, pretty big in LA at the time. Worked there for about a month, and all of a sudden the restaurant starts cutting people. And well, I'm a new prep cook who really was didn't know shit, so I was gone right away. And uh, then I got another job at the West Beach Cafe. Bruce Martyr, which was pretty popular, like really hip place. At 11 o'clock, it would shut down and become a full-on cocaine, crazy nuts. And every night it was like party. And I just was there for like three months. And I said, this is not going to work. I'm never going to get like, this is just the same rut, you know, party, hang out. Sure, it was fun, but I, this is not going to get me where I want to go. So then I moved to France. My dad was is French and he was living in France at the time doing like, uh, you're going to like this. He was selling on the black market bands, uh, Converse and Levi's. And so, you know, it was super expensive in France back in the eighties to buy that stuff. So he was kind of doing it with a bunch of shady Moroccan Jews, like this whole like thing, selling bands and importing them. I have no idea how he got into this, but so I moved to France and started working. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty funny. It was pretty interesting. <clears throat> and so that was in like 80, I got to France in 87 and I worked there. I said, I'm going to go for one year. I ended up staying for three years. And where in France were you at this time? Paris in Paris. Restaurant, the most well-known was a chef who was, he was a three-star chef at one point for many years, like 10 or 12 years or maybe longer. But then he was already like, he was getting older. So he had two stars when I worked at his restaurant, but he was very, you know, respected chef, Claude Perrault. Yep. who actually just passed away in the last like four, three months ago at like 90 years old, um, which was great. Plus a lot of little restaurants to kind of get knowledge, learn some one stars. And and when you, when you went there, did you speak French well fluently or were you kind of broken kitchen? I was broken a little kitchen, a little bit. Well, I took French. My grandparents were French and my, my father's French, but they never really spoke French to me in the house. They didn't speak French in the house. So when I got there, I, I had heard it all my life because they would argue in French and talk in French, but then they wouldn't talk to us in French. I don't know. Kind of weird. And then I took French all through high school, obviously. So I had a pretty good foundation, but I never really talked it. And then again, but also there's a long time ago. So the France, they don't have a, like a lot of places in Europe. They have all in English subtitles. I mean, in France, it's just French TV, French, everything was very French in the 80s, especially. So I learned it pretty quick. Within six months, I got a pretty close, fluent, uh, not fluent, but I spoke pretty well after about six months, seven months. But that's because I had a lot of, I had heard it and been around it many, many, many all my life. 
And when you got there, it was, I mean, that's like a full, you're like full on immersed in there. You're, were you doing, were you doing double splits? Yeah, we did. We didn't, we were a business day there. It's not like now, obviously, but it was like, you start at 7 a.m. And if you can get done by 3.30, 4, you know, get out, have your coupure to like 5.30, come back. But usually when you came back, you just did a little mise en place, get a little bit of stuff ready. And then you sat down for a nice meal from like, you know, 6.30 to 7.30. And the restaurant used to open at 8. And then you be done at like what, 1? One? 1 o'clock, yeah. Hopefully you try to get back to get the last metro, you know, at 12.30, get to the metro station. Sometimes you miss it. Then you got to, you know, taxis were expensive. So I wasn't getting paid. The full scrub down too, right? And that's there's yeah. the- Every, twice a day twice would, a day yeah. the full scrub down you would tear out the and and for for everybody out there that to realize like it is a full scrub down floors everything comes out of the walk-in the hood vents come out all the grates come out on the range everything, everything. is scrubbed down if there's foil below on the catch pan it's changed everything is done every single day twice a day twice a day yeah it was nuts <laughs> and saturday is even extra <laughs> which is i mean it instills that sense of importance, not only of cleanliness, but of organization and structure is what that whole process, you know, is. Yeah, but you're, you're attached to it. I mean, even here, like, obviously, when we run restaurants here, we're, we're constrained by budget and staying open, you know, so we have night cleaners come the whole, it's a complete different system. But I think it, it teaches you so much more respect about the station and where you are and everything you have there, the equipment. Just how to keep things moving properly. Like yeah. now, I mean, you know how to repair things. I know how to repair things because exactly. we're forced to we learn. Had to. Yeah. <laughs> we <had> to. It's <laughs> true. Preventative, right? All of that. So working in working in Paris and being, you know, being the American, were you the only American there? Was there a bunch of other yeah, there was a couple others in the restaurants I worked at the time. I was the only American mostly. A lot of Japanese in the one restaurant, Biberwa. A lot of Japanese chefs. Um, and also, we had a bad reputation, you know, in the 80s. Everything was like our sock waters, coffee. And, you know, we hadn't really had that. And now I go back and I, like, see Starbucks. I'm like, yeah, who are you laughing at now? You know, <laughs> you guys are drinking Starbucks. It's horrible. You know? <laughs> it's, that is true. I mean, it's like, it's really interesting to think of the how the flip, right, happened. And, and there was that definite, we you hear all these stories of the, you know, sous vide, a big part of it was because Americans were coming to the, to, to France and wanted to stage and we could guarantee that you wouldn't screw up the food. And yeah, it was exactly so much, but there was also such like, Oh, McDonald, everything was like, but it's like, if you have money and you stay persistent, you overwhelm them. It got, like I said, like there's Starbucks, there's McDonald's. Everything was like at that time, ketchup is all that stuff is a part of their daily life now. Like if you ask, you couldn't ask for ketchup at a restaurant in France in the eighties or seventies, they'd make fun of you and all that. But now it's part of their, it, it's all part of it. A Coke, all that became so part of their life. And it's like, if you just keep persistent, I guess, it, and you got money behind you. I mean, they ended up, you know, changed the whole culture a lot, in my opinion. That's crazy. So you're, you're in Paris. What, what was the catalyst to come back? What was the catalyst to come home? You know, I think it was like three years and I really, I love Paris. I think that's where I like to have, I like to, I feel when I get to Paris, I always feel more alive than anywhere I go. 
just, I just love being there. But I was also, okay, my whole family was back in Los Angeles. And it was kind of that point after three years, you know, you're, what am I going to do? Do I start buying stuff here? Do I get at, I mean, I was living like, you know, you know, basically living from place to place or, you know, whatever, just trying to, you know, not really having really a house, a home. So it's kind of like, am I going to go down this road here or not? And uh, I just kind of at one point, Rafael Luneta, who we, you actually saw last there in Hawaii, he had been over there working with me because he had tried to do the surf tour. And then at one point he said, fuck it, I'm just going to stay in France with you the last year. So he stayed there and we had an apartment together and he was kind of ready to go home. And I was just kind of getting homesick after, you know, so I kind of just said, okay, let's just go back and see what we can do there. Because our dream was always to open a restaurant together. Originally, he was in the front of house and, I, you know, he's so charming and he's got that big old smile. So that was kind of the original plan was he was going to be in the front of house. I'll be in the back of house. And uh, but then he just got into cooking when we came back to the States. You know, he'd always been into it. His dad was a great cook and used to cook these amazing meals for us on Sundays growing up. And so then we both came back here and kind of started the journey back here. I came back and I got a job at Shinwa in Maine. Uh, working, you know, Wolfgang Puck, which is a pretty cool place. I had eaten there before I left, and I, it was so delicious. And again, back in the 80s in France, it wasn't super, it was French food, you know, and going to Chinois and seeing what they were doing there was a collaboration between Japanese and, and, and Chinese and a little Thai and just the whole, like, no rules, but what's the great product and the French technique, it was, like, mind-blowing. I just, the flavors are so exciting. So I was really happy working there for like two years. I think it helped expand like my knowledge and repertoire in a different way. And I mean, and definitely at that time at Chinois, there was, I mean, there's a, a cast and crew that came out of that restaurant with you. Yeah, there was, yeah, it was a lot of, it was a big thing. And even funny, even funnier, before I got there in the beginning, you know, Michael Ellis, who actually ran Michelin for the, quite a few years he actually was a line cook there at one point <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's so many people who who like come to mind that were part of the that chinois on main you know vetri right yeah was there we actually worked together too at granita for a while when he was yeah. there in la vetri i mean a lot of at, at one point there was a lot of for a while, we had a lot of great chefs here, the Japanese guys that were there, and then they all went out and opened these restaurants like Cafe Blanc, Chez Fan Fan. There was a lot of really awesome restaurants around LA, like in the 90s, that were all from Chinois chefs. That's amazing. I mean, it's, it's it says a lot about the people that come out of a place and what, what you, you're surrounding yourself with so much talent, right? Making those decisions on a restaurant to work in, it's not only just a job, it's you're, it's forceful education, right? And you're when you surround yourself with people that are better than you, right? That have different knowledge, you you become a sponge, right? You absorb and absorb. And that must have been a really interesting environment to be in because you had been working in France, which is, you know, let's be let's be honest, it's really it's sauce work, butter, classic yeah. technique. And then you transfer over to Chinois in Maine and you're using lemongrass and galangal and maricot lime leaf and 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 lighter broths and things have changed i mean let's talk about two rising yeah, opposites right totally opposites but then also it kind of came together so it was really like cool how it came together like instead of like wine using plum wine and all these different you know flavors so it was like it kind of like 
they just opened my eyes to so much more and and so much more like bright and amazing food. And there was a lot of great people. And there was also the whole Wolfgang Puck organization at that time. You know, it wasn't only Shinwalker, there was Spago and there was Eureka that was opening. So everybody was coming through there and like Rochelle from, you know, who started Chefware. I mean, I can't even, That'd so many right. people, you, oh. know, you know, Joe Manzari. I mean, there was tons of people around at that time uh, in that era that were there, all the people, you know, Francois Quacodango, all the people that were at Shin. So it was all together. Like we go to events and everybody together too. And you show up and you have to, kind of like stake your claim for your team as your restaurant to be the best one of the group. So it was very competitive and very like talent, a lot of talent there and everybody's pushing each other. You know, I think that's, that's kind of what gets you faster. I mean, better. I mean, I don't, it's funny when I look at my kitchen today, all my kitchens, I don't see my cooks like being competitive against each other. I don't notice them like trying to be play every dish better than the guy next to him. I mean, that's all I thought I was trying to do it. Like, I was always trying to make a nicer dish than the guy next to me. Well, it was a way I, I was talking about this the other day. It's, it was, you were pushing to be better than the guy next to you because you wanted to work that station or the station, yeah. the next station. It was like, I can do mine better than they can do theirs. And I can do theirs too. So exactly. can, I go, can I go over there now? Right. Yeah. That was, it was all we wanted to get up that kitchen chain. It was just, yeah, it was, I mean, I mean, obviously they don't talk to me about it. So I don't, I'm just assuming that they're not trying that because, you know, a funny thing about this job is you started off and, and I opened my first restaurant, I was 30. I mean, when I opened Melise, I was 30. And so most of my cooks were between 18 and 26 at that time. So there was, the age gap wasn't that different. Now I'm 55, they're still 18 to 26. <laughs> so it's like all of a sudden this huge age gap, it's like the, what you have in common, all that's so much, so different. Yeah. You and then there's, then there's the whole, the vocabulary is so different. So it's, you're like, what yeah. did you just say? I don't exactly. even know that word. What does that word mean? It's so <laughs> different. Yeah. I My son does a lot of translation for me at times. <laughs> like, what is this? Tell me this word. What does that mean? Exactly. It's nuts. But like, so you're, you're then you're at, you're at Chinois. And what is that next step for you? What are, what are you? Well, I was at Chinois on one day, like, this guy comes in and he's staging there and he's telling, he would have been at Patina and I had heard about Joachim Special and Patina group and, and seen some, you know, articles in the paper of a picture of the food. And, and he came and started telling me about it. And I was like, Oh, wow. This is sounds so cool. And it sounds so amazing and everything he'd talk about the stuff they were doing. And it was like, I was like, Oh, this is sounds amazing. I want to work here. And then like about a week later after this guy leaves, Joachim comes in for dinner at Chinois. So then I get Mako, who was a chef at that time, to introduce me to him. But he doesn't give a shit anyway, Joachim, whatever. I meet him, but then it made me want to work there more. So I just went to Chinois. I mean, to I went reached out to Chef Octavio, who was at Octavio Becerra, who was a chef at that time. Reached out to him, tried to get a job there, and uh, had to, you know, wait. And at that time, there was a waiting list for some of these restaurants to get in. You know, Remember so, those days, right? Like, yeah, I, I kept pushing, you know, going by, talking to them, and and then finally I got a job there. You know, they were getting ready to open Pinot Bistro, so there was like a transitioning, so they were starting to move people around. So I was able to get a job there, which I got a job there, and I worked there for like two years, and uh, which is kind of great. But at this point, I probably had like seven, eight years I've been working in the kitchen now, and 
Raphael was like, oh, and Joakim had offered me some chef job for some small thing he might do. But he always did this. I know now, but I didn't know at the time. He'd have an idea and he'd offer something to you. Oh, this is great. But there was like no concrete anything. It's just like he, so I thought, oh my God, he wants me to be a chef for one of his restaurants. But that never really happened after like about six months of hearing about this or that, you know, you kind of said, oh, well. And so we just said, there was this restaurant at Abikini called Capri in Venice. And at that time, Venice was like having this kind of rebirth or coming around that Joe Miller had opened Joe's and there was a few restaurants in Abikini. And so me and Raphael said, let's try and get a job here. So we met the lady who owned it. And somehow we got her to hire us as two co-chefs in there, get, making $225 each a week. I don't know how that even, what that came to. And we kind of started doing our own menu and working every day. We'd work from nine in the morning until midnight, just trying to, you know, do it all. There was no money. The restaurant was like not very financially successful when we came in there, but she managed to make it work. But like the delivery guy would see us and go, oh, I had to, couldn't drop your delivery because boom, boom, which meant the check went bounced. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'd be going to the store to pick up stuff. But anyway, so, but slowly it actually got busy there and it did well. And then uh, from there we got another job and we went on to open Jackson's, which was another restaurant in West Hollywood. And uh, we did it as co-chefs, Raphael and myself. And that was going, you know, pretty well. It was all right. And then the, the owner decided to open another restaurant, Jackson Farms. So we split up and we each did a restaurant. But working for owners and egos and all that's not easy, especially when we're all in our 20-somethings, you know, our late starting to get in our mid to late 20s and the egos and that whole thing fell apart. And Rafael and I, myself found ourselves like, what are we going to do? It's, you know, now I've been doing this for 10 years. And so we opened our first restaurant, Giraffe, at that point. I remember and, when Giraffe opened. That was ninety-six. Yeah. yeah. I remember because I was just moved to California. Yeah, we did it. It was kinda I like to say it was one of the first Bistronami restaurants because it was very casual inside, but we were trying to do top notch fine dining food in that, you know, environment, in a very casual environment. And uh that was great. We had great success there. I was there for three years. Uh we kind of we both we both won that best new chef from food and wine and that again we both worked our ass off every night both were on the line except for our days off you know we did lunch and dinner that that time all restaurants you had to do lunch and dinner it's part yeah. of the part of how it went and lunch menus had to be somewhat creative people wanted to spend half as much as they did at dinner which i never understood because all the ingredients cost the same i don't get half price because i'm serving at lunch you know you know, and labor is the same. Everything's the same at lunch, but I think they always expected it to be half portions for some reason. I don't. Yeah, but if you get if you get a half portion, it's like they're going to complain. It's like not enough food. So exactly, anyway. that whole model never does. It never worked. It no, never did. Didn't work the lunch. It was always and people were already slowing down on drinking at lunch, and it wasn't like quite the same. So if no one's drinking at lunch, and anyway. So at that point, when we were one best new chefs, then you kind of then when you do that, you get invited to a lot of guest chefs. So we're, we weren't in the restaurant a lot together. So then, all of a sudden, you're not really co-chefing. You're like you're there for like a month. So it's kind of your kitchen anyway. And then so then the spot came around for Melise where we where I opened Melise at. And at that point, we were going to do it together, and, and it was uh, do it together, and kind of we didn't know exactly. And then I guess we just decided to split up at that time and kind of 
keep our friendship great and like it never got to be not a good situation but like i said we both had been kind of had the restaurant don't have it and we kind of saw what it could be what what i think is really amazing is because i remember when you guys won best new chef i remember that issue coming out i remember seeing you guys in food arts together yeah it was and that's when we met is when we were doing yeah. that dinner. it was that time when i had just come to california and i was working for tracy and it was joaquin was there you were there you know uh atsuka was in the it there as well michael atsuka yeah, michael atsuka yeah michael right? talk about that can you believe i still have remember that uh, i know uh and we were all downstairs in the basement and, and i just was so impressed that you guys never you're still great friends and that to me says the world about how you work together and yes there's always arguments in business and when you work with people but you guys are still great friends and you you manage to work together as co-chefs which as you know there's not a lot of places that can do that because egos no it's yeah Eagles fly and alpha alpha is alpha. And, you know, I I was always impressed by that. I really was. It was, I was like, it's kind of great because that was our childhood dream and we got to do it. And then, you know, we also did it after in a different restaurant. We had lemon moon together, which was for 12 years, but it was like, we all each had our restaurants. So you had your creative outlets and where you're going, you know, but then we had that restaurant we could work together. in, so that was great. What what was that like the transition of opening Melise? Because you had a very you have a very specific vision. And Melise is is, I mean, it is a incredible restaurant. And you, you know, you've you're still pushing every day consistently. Like what was that like to open that? Because that was like, a dream restaurant for you. You want, and I mean, I know, I know you well enough to know, and I don't want to speak for yeah. you. No, no, that was what I wanted. I wanted to find any restaurant. I wanted, but I also wanted to find a way like to do modern, like I didn't want to do classic French food, but I also want to have the, the Garadons. I want to do the chicken table side, the Cote de Boeuf. And I want to have the cheese card. I want to have all those things that I love so much in France, but then mix it with what I liked about America. So, and then I guess I just opened it. I had, I could just blinded because I was 30, 31. And I was just blinded by what I was doing. I just, tried and just did whatever I thought I knew how to do. I didn't really think about it too much. You know what I'm saying? I just kind of pushed every day. Like, I mean, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I want to have an excellent restaurant, great service, the whole thing. And I want to buy nice China. I want to have all that stuff. So to have that, you have to have a high-end restaurant, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, but I also didn't want it to be stuffy and I want it to be cool. Cause I'm a, just a surfer dude from Santa Monica really. So I didn't want to have this, but you're kind of always fighting that battle of perception. Um, So I just kind of, it was, I was blinded. I just kind of every day worked harder and pushed more and it just kind of kept evolving and going as it went. And as trends change and everything evolved, you kind of evolve with it, you know, as you try to push to be the first one to figure this out or that out or whatever there is you can add or do more or have this cool thing or give this gift to the guests when they come or when it's, you know, to make it more special, whether it's, how we, you know, just asking people if it's a special occasion. All these things weren't always done. And then we start, I think few restaurants started adding these in and having the box of truffles and the card and all the extra touches 
that you could give. And I think it was just all of that. Besides the food, always shopping the farmer's market, looking for the newest purveyors and who's, you know, who's growing the best squabs, you know, in Northern California now, or who has the best persimmons and who you can have that for two months from Laura, from JJ's own daughter. Like all this started during that time for me. But I just don't really think I ever thought about it. I can I just did it. Like if I would have thought about it, how overwhelming and scary that would be to think about everything that was going on and what I had to lose, right? <laughs> so I, I want to put that into perspective. If you were to stop, let's just say you were going to do this tomorrow. What you just said, I think is really poignant and, and really important. If you stopped and thought about what we have to lose, how much work, how much time, is that daunting now as like to say you were to start it all over tomorrow? Uh, you know, it's, I, I look at it like in life, there's, there's times in life where you have the, I don't know if I could do it again. You know, I don't know if I could do that same thing again anymore. I think when it's everything's so new and such a challenge and it's so exciting you have energy, you know, I, I don't know if I could do that same thing again. Like if I wanted to try it again, it'd have to be something else, something different, something, I don't know. It's interesting. It's hard to explain. It's just one of those things when it just happens and you go and you're just so passionate, everything just takes over. But I think for all of us, it was like that during that whole time, all of the chefs that were around and then, you know, everything that was going on and, you know, the restaurants you created and what you did was all that, like doing the awful, all this pushing the different boundaries where it's like, hey, every time we put this on the menu, it's like, we're so excited about sweetbreads and coxcombs and doing something that's different. And they're like, the customers come and like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know? But only here in the States where everywhere else it was. Yeah, but it's, oh, yeah exactly. I, I call it getting in the, I, I mean, I say it from like the sport world as well and it's kind of i'm sure you feel the same way when you're on the board that you get in that flow state where it's just, yeah. it's just you just start to go right and you're and all of a sudden everything is clicking in your head whether it's you're working on the line next to somebody and all of a sudden the night's over and you're like whoa we didn't get one refire everything was smooth everything was you're like that the flow it just happened right like yeah. just vanished and now you, and I, there's moments where I think about it now and I just go, wow, like we've all, cause we're not too far off in age. I'm going to be 52 in a couple months. So like, yeah, no, it's, it gets closer as you get older. Like it seems so yeah. different when we're younger. Right. But now exactly. it's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's think about those times. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Like that you just said, it's like in that moment, you don't know anything other than do. Yeah. Just do it. And you have to, and there, and like, and I think times have changed. You know, you didn't have like, in, like I said, Instagram or yeah. social media, and you weren't always on your phone looking for things. Or you, everything was just like so. Matter of trial money. and error, trial and error, figure it out. Travel, like I said, volunteer, go to do these events. Right? I mean, we got taken advantage so bad. Like we went did so many things for no money all the time. These events, and, and, and the ones for charity. Look, I'm happy for them. Yeah. To do that. But all the other events we did that, yeah, sure, that's not really for I mean, we got taken advantage, but it was for our knowledge. It was to be able to learn. Oh yeah. I mean I, and that's how we did it. That's that I think is a really, you know, the more you volunteered, the more you saw and the more yeah. access to that. Whether it was oh, completely you were learning something new 
or you're being introduced to somebody new who would allow you to come and play on your day off. Yeah, exactly. That was it. I mean, especially like San Francisco, like to us in LA was always way cooler of a city because it always seemed like you guys had so much more, you're so small and it was just felt like, Oh, the chefs all knew each other. They go from restaurant to restaurant. You know, I'm sure it wasn't quite the same. It was just from afar. It's different. But, you know, from L.A., it looked like it was always like, oh, they're, they're way more like on their little in their little like complete, like, I guess, club. And they're all together and forming it in L.A. We're like, we're so spread out. And you had like Joaquin Wolfgang and Michelle Richard were like the top of the pile. Oh, but they didn't they didn't really get along that well. So it was like, you know, but I'm sure it was the same in San Francisco. Just when you're looking through the lens, it always looks better. Grass looks always greener on the other side, right? On the other exactly. side. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like from the, you know, and, and then there's the Northern California farmer's market comparative to the, to the Santa Monica market, right? The ones you guys have, your market's incredible down there. Your seasons are longer. I mean, it, it's all different, you know, and everything it's completely different time and place. I think it's really funny because, you know, I, I would always say this and, and you've heard me say this before that, you know, when I did Encanto, I would say we were in a region of Italy called San Francisco because it's never going to be exactly what it is in Italy because the products taste yeah. different. And it's the same thing. California is huge. 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 So to say California cuisine, well, what part of California cuisine is somebody cooking? Are you cooking Fort Bragg? Are you cooking Napa, Sonoma, Marin? Oh, yeah. It's totally different. It's totally different as you can, I mean, the higher you go, you have such different influences. You know, you have a, a huge Russian influence when you get up north, you know, with all the fishing and so forth. Then you start to come down and then there's Portuguese influence. So it's always interesting to me when you hear, you know, people say things like, well, must have been tighter knit in San Francisco. We looked at the L.A. going, man, you guys have got longer seasons and you got different yeah. stuff down there. And everybody points to everybody else thinking it's grass is greener, but. It's just not greener. It's just different grass. Just different grass. Exactly. It's true. It's true. You know, we all that's have, everybody's got the same dog shit on the grass. Just yeah. Same shit to deal with, especially in California. But just different grass. Just different grass. Exactly. 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 Very true. Like you're, you're right now, you, you've been really busy. You know, I mean, you've, I mean, there's Melise. Yeah. Charcoal. Yeah, charcoal. Well, we have Melise. There's actually two restaurants now. When I, you know, it's Stitcher and Melise in the same building. We changed it all. And it's, it's great the way it is. I think it was a great thing to do. So, I mean, I'm happy we made that change. Uh, there's charcoal. And I, I kind of just stepped in all this. So it's not like I meant to do this. I, I mean, it just kind of happens and, you know, you get inspired and like charcoal open and it was great. And I always said, okay, I really want to grow this concept. I think this concept's great, but it takes time to find the right places. And in between those times, I partnered up with Hans Rockwagner and, you know, we opened Dear John's and Dear Jane's. Yep. So all of a sudden we have these two restaurants that are like there and doing great, but all this takes so much time and energy and like, I really didn't think it out. Again, I wasn't thinking. I just, okay, and then doing it. And now it's running. It's a whole new ball game to learn and have to do. It's a whole new uh, experience for me. And 
And how do you divide your time between all these? Because they're, you I mean, and you have your fast casual concept too, right? Yeah, so, Augie's on Main, Augie's which is on Main, which by the way, my son loved when we came down to LA. He walked. Oh, uh, nice. Tatiana and I went. Uh, we we all came down last year, and uh, Tommy Guerrero was actually playing a show really close down the street to where we were staying. So we went to the show, and he went to Augie's, and oh, cool, so good. So I like to hear that. That's awesome. Um, that's great. How do you manage your time between all of you? Because that's a lot, you know, you've, you're, and you just did this massive Michelin dinner at the restaurant where, um, you know, I see what's going on over there and, and yeah. you're really able to get out in the water, which is really important for your brain. I'm sure. Um, how do you balance it all? And what, what are the steps that you do to do that? Because I think as young cooks look and they say, I want to be like you, I want to do what you do. And and I always say, revel in the time that you're in now, because, you know, you think picking herbs sucks, but we would love to just stand in the corner. Pick and herbs. Pick herbs. Exactly. Exactly. So managing the time is like, I'm still learning and figuring it out because obviously I feel like I need to be in this restaurant. You get a text from this person. It's that restaurant. It's like all these things. And, oh, I got to go here. I got to do this. And it's kind of. I don't know if they even want me to go there. They're just letting me know they're going to the restaurant probably, but there's this innate feeling we always have because we're always, chefs are nurturing and we want to be there to make their experience better to do all this stuff. So right now, I, I mean, I, I'm drawn more to be at Citroen and Malif. That's like where I want to be. But because, you know, I need to keep everything going and be involved with the chefs. And it's, I have quite a few young chefs in the restaurant that, you know, they need support and help and grooming. So I'll just kind of like, we have manager meetings. And a lot of times when we have those meetings, then I'll just stay at that restaurant that night. Like a lot of times Friday night, there'll be at Charcoal. We have the meeting on Friday in Bennett. So I'll just stay there and uh, stay in the kitchen and hang out with them. And kind of do that around at all the restaurants through the meeting. Wednesday is at at uh, Dear Jane's. Every other Wednesday, one's Dear John's, one's Dear Jane's. Sometimes I spend time just going to restaurants, like going on a Sunday night and having dinner at charcoal or, you know, I can see more sometimes having dinner and hanging out at the bar, watching what's going on than actually being in the kitchen. I think that's actually a really good point because I think a lot of people get so hung up of being behind the scenes that they never sit down and experience it from the guest's perspective, whether you're the chef owner or the cook or a manager, it helps to, to be in the environment like a guest to really shed the light on the things that you can't see when you're focusing on your, on your moment. Exactly. I think along the way, like lately, it's been really important, like in the least to eat the whole menu, you know, more than once. Cause if we want to get three stars, it has to be perfect. And you're not going to get it perfect. If you're not actually eating that menu all the way through. Right. Cause it's a progression. Everything has to come together in the end of the day. But I don't think we're always trained that way to sit down and eat the menu and do that. It's not quite how we're trained. Well, when we were younger, I, I, I'm sure it was the same for you. It was a privilege to be able to sit down. Oh, yeah. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. And and I think that that, it was, this is a privilege for you to, to be able to sit down and eat in the dining room. Yeah. Behave, don't, you know, don't. But it, it shouldn't have been treated as a privilege. It should have been treated as, okay, as this education. is why we're working yeah. so hard. This is what it's about. Yeah, exactly. But I think even like in your own restaurant, how many times did you ever sit down and have dinner? Uh, I would 
get forced to by my wife. Okay, very good of her. Um, especially for holidays, I would sit down. But of course, even when you do that, you're like a whirling dervish. Your head is constantly exactly. spinning, spinning. Watch, spinning, watching. Exactly. I'm like, make sure you clear table 21. What's going on with this table? Why exactly. did you come back? What? And it gets hard to separate yourself. So then they used to take and put me where I couldn't see what was going on. And that's always how it has to be back to the thing. And you're sitting there. Oh, okay. I know something's wrong, but <laughs> I think that's because most chefs are ADHD and they have to fix everything in the moment. That it's is like a superpower can't. in the restaurants. Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. We it could is. accomplish as many things as we do without having ADHD, but it's managing the HDHD. Yes. Is the key, right? If you can't manage it, you're never going to be able to. Move no, it. you have to manage it. It's like, it's the weapon that's great. Or it's the, or it's the weapon that kills you. You know, it's, you have to manage it and learn how to manage it, but it's seeing all that stuff. But it's like, Everything has to be fixed now. But, you know, I think as you get older, you realize that, look, one bad meal, your restaurant's not going to close. One bad, you know, when you're younger, it's like one bad service. And you're like, free, oh, it's over. It's over. I'm done. The restaurant's going to close, you know. But that was what we were taught, right? Yeah, it was Whenever what we were taught. It was like one bad experience equals 10 extra customers here. About exactly. It. They well, I think it's all the time. Still, yeah, and it's. I think it's still true. I think it's actually more now. If one bad customer, you get a hundred. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The reviews and everything else is happens quick. Yeah. But, and I think that that's a really good point. It's not, you know, everybody makes mistakes. It's how we recover from them. Right. Yes. Uh, measure of your success is how you, how you deal with problems, not how you make them. Exactly. And I think we're all going to have mistakes. It's impossible to have a perfect night every night. It's just impossible. I mean, no matter how hard you work at it and push recovery is key right like just just yeah. really making sure the guest feels welcome and respected and because for for a lot of people it's it's saving up you know to come and have dinner it's a big experience for them it's whether it's a birthday uh, a holiday uh, anniversary it's a very important moment for them and we're fortunate to be part of their life by giving them taste memories exactly that's how we are especially when you have those special occasion restaurants and things like that but it's every restaurant matters like to me that have a great and to be hospitable and like the hospitality part's really important like that they people leave that they feel good and happy and nice and they were taken care of you know um that's really important and but it's also training or finding you know it's all about who you hire down the road right like who's gonna have that same attitude the manager has to have that same attitude so they hire waiters captains and back servers who have that attitude right it's all it's cyclical. It. it just keeps rolling. It's got a. Then, it's all got to be cohesive. And then trying to keep that that uh, energy and that that positivity also, and to be a good place to work, which is always hard to do. When the pressure's high to create a great experience for the guest, it is always difficult to because some staff members can't handle the pressure of keeping it that high. And I mean, yeah. yes, it's difficult to motivate sometimes. Um, it's difficult for people to understand. And I think that's why there's that important thing like we talked about, which is getting them to experience what it's like in the dining room to understand the other side of why we're all working so hard. Yeah, I agree 100%. Very, uh... I mean, it's a different era too, right? Everything's different now. 
But yeah. I don't know. But the chefs used to say that about us too when we were coming up. Like, oh yeah, they don't work as hard too. So I don't know. It, you know, it's always that way. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the what is it? The old uh, get off my lawn, kid. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's funny. My daughter, she's working with us now, and you know, in the in the management company. So she's been helping a lot, and it's great to have her. But she has a whole different perspective on it all. Really? Yeah, I and mean, you know, she's kind of halfway between the modern style of worker and then she grew up with me as her dad so you know she also has that really hard you know work ethic and kind of like once it's time to start working it's like no fucking around you know which you know there's there's plenty of time to play and there's plenty of time to put your head down and get the job done and yeah i think that there's something to be said for keeping levity in the moment when you have your head down because it makes it a lot more enjoyable for a lot of people Agreed completely. Keep it pushing, keep it going. But uh yeah, so it's been a, you know, with a big smile, right? You can joke and work real hard and have a exactly. big smile. That's that's exactly. really you know, exactly. But yeah, now it's like this year we're gonna have Melissa is gonna hit 25 years. Uh congratulations. That's amazing. So we're gonna hopefully you know my whole thing. I want to do uh plastic free. I want Melissa to become a plastic free restaurant. That's like my goal for to 25 year anniversary that's awesome don't know how i mean there's some companies that help you get there and consult you on it but i just think it'd be a good thing to have there i don't know if i could do it everywhere but i know i, I could start with that restaurant to get those two restaurants like plastic free i just feel like the environment's so important and doing something whatever i can do to support that and teach the younger chefs about it because i'm blown away like i look at these guys some as we go into just talking about like environment you know, being in Santa Monica, I, we have to do some certain things. Like, you know, we have to separate the trash into the three different ones, compost, trash, yeah. and recyclable. But the funny thing is, for months, they had us doing that. And then they did, They only had two trash cans, right? And then they don't. And then I realized, like, after a while, I said, oh, but, but we put them all in. We have different cans, but the bags are all black. So I said, so once they take the bags out, how do they know which goes where anyway? Right, because you have like three trash cans, four placed in the kitchen, and we all had I had all black bags. So when the guys take out the trash, I'm like, well, they don't even know which one is which anymore by the time they get out to the trash, right? Yeah. So we switched it that it's clear, blue, and black bags, so that we know what's in what when we take it out. But I'm blown away sometimes with these young kids how they don't even. I would think that they grew up with so much like you know use reuse all these terms they had they don't care a thing and i like them i'm gonna be dead and this is your planet like what am i caring so much when you don't even give a shit you know why is because you think clearly and you are in the ocean and you see the shit floating around you when you're out there surfing yeah. and it scares us because we want our grandkids to have the same options that we have exactly exactly i mean that's you know i've i'm part of a climate change organization called protect our winters um and you know I'm no like, I, I i see that yeah you're constantly posting on that yeah and it's like we all have to give in what we can to help make change because it's going to affect the food that we eat and it's yes. already we're already seeing massive change we see high costs and people think a lot of it is due to you know shortage or um uh or inflation i mean our shipping and all shipping that. or they think it's because the president did something like this or we have this but it's because we're having issues 
Oh, the ground is too hot. The ground is too hot yeah. to plant feed. You know, Texas had to cut their cattle herds by 48%. Beef yeah. prices were going to go up because they couldn't plant because the ground was 15 degrees hotter than it was the year before. I mean, there's so many things, uh, you know, that are going to change that we just aren't really paying attention to. And things that like that, like separation of garbage and plastics and all those things that we can do are going to help. We just all have to everything we have to do. And yeah, exactly. And it's just uh, to me, it's important. Like I said to you, it's important, whatever we can do, but it's also teaching the younger generation about it. How do we instill it? I think instill it in them, even though they grew up trying to instill it in them, but it's one of those things. It's hard. It takes extra effort, you know, to do it. And it's, it's important though, because like everything's going to change and it's, everything is changing so quickly with the environment right now. I think that's the thing. It's everything is changing so quickly that it's creating a sense of fear, right? It's like fear, shock and fear of what to do next because there's so many things going on globally, whether it's climate change or the wars and the, it just creates this overwhelming sense that they just want to get through their day. Yeah. I mean, we had 70 years of pretty stable. It was a pretty stable time. Yeah, wasn't always like that in the world. It's not usually like that. It was just a period of seventy years that was a little more stable. Sure. But yeah, but that's also like restaurants, unfortunately, and especially fine dining restaurants are very wasteful. I mean, it's just what we do. There's a lot of waste. If you think about all the waste and trash and everything that comes out of a restaurant, it's crazy. It is. It is definitely a crazy thing. I mean, and it's. I mean, we've now been able to transfer cooking oil into fuels and yep. cycle things. And, and that's been a really huge change. I think a really positive change. Um, but there can be more that can be done, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I was just in Denmark and they're very green compared oh, to here. That's so, I mean, so green. And every car is electric. I mean, they don't have a lot of cars anyway, but everybody rides a bike. But I mean, in general, they have the mountain, the copenhagen mountain where they have all the they do all the recycling and everything i think it's that great it's you know? amazing right this it has yeah, on it and they yeah. generate their energy and there's and when they to generate the energy it releases natural steam and that steam then becomes snow when it's cold to then cover that mountain which yeah, is pretty cool an energy plant which why don't we have those here please <laughs> yeah exactly so it was great to see that i'm jealous i want to go just to see that whole thing i think it'd be yeah i I, did my first time there it was pretty cool so you've written a book charcoal right yeah 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 i have two i did the melise cookbook and i have the charcoal cookbook i mean these are all things that are accessible for people every day and and i think that's you know it also tells you a story which is to me is really yeah, especially the charcoal book. I'm proud of that because people can do that at home. You know, we really made it that want a book like the Melise cookbook. Look, it's in, you can make it at home too. It just takes hours of work, but the charcoals, you know, you can do it, not hours. And it's kind of, I, I love that book, just the ideas and this food style in there. I love the restaurant anyway. So for I like to eat and the kind of food I like to eat. So what else is going on right now? I mean, you're working towards the 25 year, you're working towards plastic free, you know, um, Hopefully you're getting to surf a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I, you know, I've been, I try to cycle. I like to cycle also, bike ride and surf. Uh, 
But I haven't. I hurt my ankle snowboarding, and I have my surfing's been a little harder. Like over like when it's cold out, and I, I didn't rehab my ankle right. So that's one thing you always got to do is make sure you rehab the stuff right because did not do it right. Now it when it gets cold, it really hurts, Oof. and you need your front ankle to surf. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, I was just I, I surfed in Mexico with David Kinch a few months ago. I went and visited him down in Puerto Vallarta. It's cool. We had some waves, a couple waves one day. Nice little waves, uh, but yeah, just try to cycle. I like cycling out in the, you know, going bike riding in the mornings on the beach. It's great when there's no waves. But yeah, I gotta get, I gotta try and surf more though. I need to try and get back in the groove. That's the last eight months. I haven't been doing it enough. So, let's play a little quick game. You have to go to work. I'm sure you're going to get the the phone call, or you've been getting uh, the phone calls. You've just been ignoring been, uh, them. Yeah, I've been ignoring them. It's a Monday. I try to take Monday off, but it never happens. It never happens. Come on. No. All right. Are you ready? Yep. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Milk or no milk? No milk. Espresso or drip? Only espresso. Drip coffee makes me shaky. Pancakes or waffles? Oof. I'm a I'm not sweet, so I um yeah I'll take waffles, oatmeal yogurt, yogurt, bacon sausage, sausage, chicken duck. Well, I'd say duck. Beef or pork? Beef. Quail or squab? Squab. Hot dog, hamburger. Burger. Ketchup, mustard. Mustard. Whole grain or Dijon? Mixed. <laughs> Taco burrito. Taco. Pasta noodles. Pasta. Ravioli dumplings. Ravioli. Raw oysters, raw clams. Raw clams. Lobster, crab. Well, crab, because there's a lot of different crabs. Sea urchin caviar. Sea urchin. Meatballs or sausage? Meatballs. Favorite pizza style? Napolitano. New York style, actually. I like a great New York pizza when it's right. It's crunchy. It's going to be a lot of tomato sauce. Black pepper, white pepper? Black pepper. Red wine, white wine? Red wine. Light beer, dark beer. Dark beer. White spirits, dark spirits. Oh, that's a hard one. Depends on the time of day. I'll take dark. Champagne, Prosecco, Cava, or Lambrusco? Champagne. Ice cream, soft serve, or gelato? Gelato. Cup or a cone? Cone. Sugar or styrofoam? Sugar. Chocolate or fruit? Fruit. Honey, maple syrup. Honey. Favorite candy? Sweet and sour, like uh, gummy bears, whatever. You know, you know, Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> Guilty pleasure? Doritos. Last meal. Nacho cheese. Last meal? Yeah. You know, I love a great, you know, Italian style, uh, Fiorentina, you know, a, a beautiful, yeah, yeah, Canino beef, 
just been sitting all day and just cook rare. I love those. I just, I love eating that. I can't get enough of it when I'm in Italy. I love. But I like the Europe. I like the European beef, the grass-fed beef when it's good. So much better than American beef. Very different product. Different different. product, different flavor. I mean, it's you don't feel like yeah, yeah, different, different. Yeah. So, if somebody's looking to find you. What's the best? What's the best handle for them to to follow you on? Just Instagram at Josiah Citron, but I'm not super like active completely. I don't share my whole life. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> you can share with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't like to brag. I feel like it's weird. I feel like it's bragging when you share too much. But anyway. Awesome. Josiah, thank you so much for taking time with me today. I really appreciate it. This is great. I really enjoyed hanging out and talking. It's been a while. I haven't seen you that lately, so. I know we gotta it's we nice. gotta I, I gotta I gotta do the chef cycle again. It's always like the worst week of the year. I tell them like, why do you do it right on freaking Mother's Day or not this year? Know. It's not on Mother's Day this year. You gotta come up. Yeah, I gotta. Do. It's gonna be in Sonoma again. It's in so it's in up in Sonoma. It's May. It's in May. All right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, come out yeah. And ride. I mean, it's fun. I I ride. End up riding with with Bolin and and, and I know last year who you you go with. Uh, I was uh, with Nick, Nick too. Nick Nick. Yeah. So it was Nick, Nick yeah. Sisma, Bolin, and I, and yeah. we all those together every day. And then uh, Tony Abugati's coming back out again this year. Oh, nice! Yeah, I got to do it. I, I was great times. I really love that. It's just such a great event. It's fun. I mean, we just I think it's just getting the band back together. You know, getting everybody yeah. to come and um, to have some fun. I think Tracy might do it this year. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, Nick, I used to ride with Nick every day, but lately I got so busy. You just your life just gets. Yeah. I get it. You know, it's, it's never, it's not always as easy as we want it to be. Right. No, it's just a meeting at a time. Like by, cycling takes time, you know, cycling to do it time. nice because part of it's the ride, but also part of it's hanging out for coffee afterwards and chatting and the whole social part of it too. Exactly. You kind of, I like that part. You need that part. Otherwise it's just like rush, rush. It's not as fun. So my whole day is a rush. I like the cycling part to be <laughs> rushing when you're on the bike and then relaxing when you're having a coffee and chatting a little bit exactly that's what it's all about you know it's about yeah. experience and being outdoors and and having a really good time and everybody just smile right exactly i was so busy i didn't even get to go to hawaii this year i tried never to miss that event oh it was good this year had a good time yeah i'm sure it was great super fun well josiah thank you so much all right thank you I really appreciate it and uh folks make sure when you're down in la you cannot miss what he's doing there's there's a lot of great options to go to so like pick your pick your day you can do a whole week if you want of of just just if you want which would not be a bad week it may be bad for your waistline but it will not be bad for your for your taste buds i promise good for your buds awesome love it all right talk soon all right thanks so much take care all right see you soon bye